Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Amen. Can we give the Lord the greatest praise here today? How's everyone doing this beautiful Sunday morning? Nobody's doing good? Yeah, I know, I know. Is it raining outside? Okay, good, because I want to bring the rain and the thunder here today. So, uh, so we could do that. You know, every time, well, at least the majority of times that I preach, it's pouring outside. And I don't know if that's like a sign from the Lord that, like, man, the lightning and the rain and the thunder is, is going to come. I think last time I preached, I preached on the rain. And I said, man, that the rain is actually good. But we get so uncomfortable in the rain because we don't want to get wet. And, man, the traffic is bad. But the rain could be a good thing. And I believe last time I preached, I was talking about having our umbrellas open to block the rain. And I compared that to us blocking the blessings of God. Do you guys remember that? Where we have our umbrella open and we just start to block the blessings of the Lord because we don't want to get uncomfortable in what God is calling us to do. All right, that's completely off of what we're going to preach today, but I just wanted to recap that for you guys. Um, I have one announcement that I do want to share with you. Today, we are doing something different and something very special this year on April 7th, which is Good Friday. So I don't know what your plans are for Good Friday. I don't know if your family celebrates Good Friday in a certain way, but we want to invite you because we are having a gathering on Good Friday, and we are calling it our Miami Meetup, the Miami Meetup. So it's going to be down in the Kendall area, and really our focus is to reach people in that area and in that community. So we want to take this time to invite you guys to what God is doing down there. It's going to be April 7th. Friday night from 7 to 9. Um, if you guys want more info on it, come see me after the service. Uh, we would love to see all of you there. Pastor Regal, I'm sure, is going to elaborate more on this uh, n- next Sunday when he's here preaching. Um, but it's going to be an amazing time. It's going to be an amazing time. It's something different that we're doing. And, man, we just want to invite. We want to invite our family, Nest family there. So April 7th, you'll be getting more information as it comes out uh, to the exact location of it. Uh, so from 7 to 9, mark it in your calendars. Amen? Amen. Okay, so this is going to be a hard question. Does anybody here remember the name of the series that I was going through in the book of James? It's a difficult question because I haven't preached in the book of James in quite a few months. So I'm going to remind you. The name of the series was called Jesus in the Midst. Jesus in the Midst. It's coming back to you, right? Jesus in the Midst. And I've preached uh, through these series. I've preached James chapter 1, James chapter 2, James chapter 3, and now... We have reached James chapter 4. And I don't know if you remember, but James 1 through 3 is a pretty hard-hitting chapter. Those three chapters are pretty difficult to get through. And I say difficult not in the text-wise. I say difficulty in conviction-wise. Because that's what James was, was preaching to the church at that time. So I want to give you guys a little bit of a recap of several key things that we learned in James chapter 1. And our brother Eli was sharing on this throughout 930 Huddle. And one of the main verses in James chapter 1 was this. It was counted all joy. 
my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials, and maybe you guys have heard this scripture before, and it's one of the key verses in chapter 1. And then we hear, James also speaks on the anger of man. If you remember what he said in verse 19, it says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I want to remind you, and I want to encourage you, let's be slow to anger. And then one of my favorite verses from chapter 1 was this. We learned to be doers of the word. Be doers and not hearers only. And in verse 22 it said this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And I hope that this portion of the study really tugged at your heart as it did mine. Um, that we take action. That, that we just don't listen. But we want to gain knowledge. And, and that we act upon the information on which we learn. And that's pretty much a recap of chapter 1. And then I want to give you a little bit of chapter 2 and chapter 3 just to refresh us. In chapter 2, if we remember, we touched on faith without works is dead. And that's another popular verse in, in the book of James. Faith without works is dead. And we went into that on how a genuine faith is going to produce good works to come out of us. Um, it's something that we should all be striving for. Our faith is going to be the testimony through our works. Not necessarily that we are saved by our works. We are saved by faith alone. But a genuine faith is going to produce that goodness to come out naturally and organic. So chapter 3, we learned this. Um, that, that some of us continue to work and we learned on taming the tongue. Taming our tongue and the power that lies in the words that we speak. So watching what we say, right, and we should be speaking to build up and not to tear down. So that was the main focus of, of James chapter 3, was taming our tongue. And remember that verse, because I'm going to go to it a little bit later. So we've gone through so much great information throughout the book of James, um, so much great teaching that I truly hope that we are taking these principles and we're applying them to our daily lives. And now, like I said, we've reached chapter 4. And it's like I said, the first three chapters were challenging that I want you to hold on to your hats for James chapter 4. Because James is just bringing the fire. He's really, he's really speaking to the Jews of the time, uh, to the churches of the time, not just one specific church. And we're going to get through this today with the grace and the mercy that God gives. And hopefully we're edified through the teaching. Amen? All right, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read through the chapter 4, through, through the chapter 4 of James, so the Word can begin to stir in our hearts and in our minds. And I'll disclaimer from right now, I'm going to attempt to get through the chapter. Um, but if we don't, it's okay. We'll pick it up next time. Amen? All right, so James starts with this. If you want to turn, you want to open your Bibles, um, I hope you have a Bible here today. If you don't, you could open it up on your device. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can maybe raise your hand or ushers. I'm sure we have Bibles in the back that we could pass out. Um, but I want to invite you, James chapter 4, and I'm reading from the ESV version just in case anybody wants to know that. So James chapter 4, here we go. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are a war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Then he goes to verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, 
he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Remember that part. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. Let's come to prayer. Lord God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the writings of James, Lord God, because we know that he is speaking directly to us here today, 2,000 years later. We thank you, Lord. We need your mercy here today, Lord God. We need your grace, Lord, here today just to get through this text. I pray, Father God, that it is not me that is speaking here, Lord, and it is you speaking through the power of the Spirit. And the words that I say are words that are needed for the church here today. So we thank you, Lord. We give you all of the honor, all of the glory, and together God's people say yes and... Amen. So you see from the text, it's a difficult text. It's a convicting text, that's for sure. So we're going to get into some very powerful things here in verses 1 through 6. James will be speaking on the issues that we will encounter on our spiritual walk. And then verses 7 through 10, James is going to speak on the remedies that God gives to deal with these issues. And it's so awesome how James starts this chapter. He begins by looking deeper at what real causes of arguments and quarrels are amongst Christians. And listen, at times we're going to get into arguments. We're going to fight. This church doesn't do that. Okay, We don't experience that, those things here at our nest. We don't fight and we don't quarrel. This is an amazing church that all the brothers and sisters get along. We could agree with that, right? Okay. But do not deceive yourself. That happens here, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, but it's okay. Other churches experience this stuff. We don't experience it. But look what James, look what he asked in the first verse. Look what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This is the first question. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? And he begins with a question, but already knowing the answer. He says, is it not that your passions are at war within you? So where is it coming from? He's saying it. It comes to a place that our arguing is not about who's right and wrong, but that there is something inward and something inside of us that is not correct. And that's what's causing us to argue. It's the inside of us. It's our heart. 
In an argument, this is what happens in arguments. Everybody here has been into an argument. In an argument, we point out why the other person is wrong. They did this and this to me. And they said this and that. And how dare they act like that in front of me. And because all these things that they did, well, guess what? Now I'm upset. And guess what, man? I'm preaching this to myself. I'm preaching this to myself 100%. So now I get upset, and now this causes a quarrel. Because I'm right, and they're wrong. No. James is saying that it's the passion within you that you are actually at war with. It's the condition of your heart. And we could reference another scripture here. We're going to see Paul in the book of Romans. He says this. He, he says this. He talks about it. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21, look what Paul says. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And you're probably like, okay, what does that have to do with this? I'm going to tell you, Paul is talking about the battle that is within us. And we know how we should treat people. We, we know that we should get along with our brothers and sisters. But the battle that is waging war in our minds at times takes us captive. And we give in to these passions and arguments come. But, everybody say this, but if we are being led by the Spirit, the truth is this, that there will be no quarreling or arguing amongst us. Why is that? It's because he guides us. He directs us. Galatians 5.16 just sums it up perfect. When we walk in the spirit, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why is that? Because the spirit is contrary to the flesh. It's contrary to the flesh. And then we look at verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. That's a strong word he's using. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Strong words here. And listen, I don't believe that James is actually talking about a physical murder. Although it could lead to that. But I don't believe in this context he's talking about physical murder. Because we remember Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount when he was equating murder with being angry with your brother. So it doesn't have to be a physical act. It could be because of the condition of our heart. It could lead you to this, to be a murderer. And it doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be physical. But this is where arguing and quarreling, quarreling could take you. It kind of sounds like a marriage, in a sense. Do you see where our fleshly desires can take us? There is nothing good in the flesh. That's why Jesus spoke so much on crucifying our flesh. We see that all throughout the book of Matthew. He talks about laying down your desires, picking up your cross and following him. And in order to do that, what do we need to do? We need to crucify our flesh. And in verse 3, he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. And you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. And we're going to sit on this verse here for a moment. The first part of the verse, you do not have because you do not ask. 
And maybe that means something different for everybody in here. But it's really very simple. And it means this, prayerlessness. You do not have because you do not ask. We don't obtain things from God because we simply don't ask. And listen, there could be a variety of reasons why we don't pray. We could be angry with God. We could be distant with God. We could be lazy in our prayer life. Or maybe things in our life are actually going great and they're going well and we don't see a need to pray to God. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. But let me tell you, that's a very dangerous place to be at. Because then we only call on him when we're in trouble. We only start praying when things are not going right in our lives. And I heard a preacher say this once. We don't pray to Jehovah Jireh. Who is the Lord that provides. That's what Jireh means. He's the, the God that provides. Instead, we pray to Jehovah Geico. He's like a car insurance policy. We don't talk to him until we wreck our lives. And then what we want to do, we want to pull Jesus out of the glove box and say, I need help. Come and fix me. And I only pray to him when I'm in trouble. Let me take out that insurance card that has Jesus on it. Lord, I haven't talked to you in a long time, but guess what? Now I'm in a wreck and now I need you. And sometimes that happens. Jehovah Geico over Jehovah Jireh. I hope that sticks with you guys. And we have to get out of this, out of this thing of prayerlessness. And God is here waiting to listen to you. He's waiting to receive it, but you have to ask. And the answer ain't going to come without the prayer. And so many times we want the answer without the prayer. How do you receive answers without asking? And then when we do ask, look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We're asking in the wrong matter. And this statement that James makes is about those times when we pray and we're not getting any answer whatsoever. And he says that we're asking wrongly. We are asking the Lord things with wrong motives because we want to spend it on our own passions. We're not asking in the correct way. Instead of coming to the Lord in prayer and asking how his purpose can be fulfilled through us, we want desires of our hearts to be fulfilled instead. We don't pray like that here in this church, though. We wonder so much why God doesn't answer our prayers. And maybe we need to look at our motives before questioning God in this area. We're so quick to put the blame on him sometimes. Like, God, I've been praying for this for so long. How come you have not answered me? Like, what else do I need to do? Rather than to look at what our heart's desire really is. If your prayer is aligned with his will, you're going to get an answer. It may not be in the time that you want. It may not be right away because God's timetable is not our timetable. Right? There's a scripture that says that a thousand years to him is one day, and one day is like a thousand years. So we don't operate on God's timetable. So you will get your answer if the prayer that you're asking for, that you need an answer to, is aligned with his will. And if time passes and you're not getting any. Man, maybe it's time to reevaluate the prayer. Let's reevaluate our heart. Where is this coming from? 
what is the motive behind the prayer that I'm asking for? You guys understand that here today? Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right, verse 4. And look how he starts verse 4. You adulterous people. And he puts an exclamation point there. So you know that James is really emphasizing this. He's calling them, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I told you chapter 4 is difficult. <laughs> so we see here what James is saying, that friendship with the things of the world are not good. He's writing it. Friendship with the world is like adultery with God. What does that even mean? The love affair with the world is what's feeding our flesh. And the more we are fed, the more we look like the world. So let me ask you this. What's going to set you apart? What's going to set us apart? We begin to do the things that they do. We talk like them. We act like them. We do the things that they like to do. Our life looks no different than their life. Even within our Christian circles. This might be difficult for some people to hear, but it's okay. Our Christian circles, we begin to look at the way that our Christian friends act. And we say, well, if they're doing it, then I guess it's okay. And we compare our walk with the way that others are walking instead of comparing our walk with the scriptures. You know what the Bible says? It says to examine yourself. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Just because another person is doing something questionable, it doesn't mean that it's correct. It doesn't mean that it's right. The more friendship with the world, the more we become like the world. You know, a brother here at our hubs meeting said this. I'm just going to call him out. It was Brother Josue. He was giving the study at our hubs meeting this past Tuesday. And this is a great moment just for me to invite you to our small groups. Um, there's something very powerful going on in our small groups. And I want to invite all you guys. It's every other Tuesday. You can see it in our app. It's called Hubs. And man, you know, my heart gets heavy sometimes because the amount of power that is going on within these groups is something that I want the entire church to experience. Okay, so let me stop trying to propagate stuff here. That's not what I'm trying to do. So our brother, Josue, he said this at our meetings, and it really stuck with me. He said this, are we more true to God or are we more true to the world? Man, and that just cut me at the heart. That cut me at the heart when he said this. And these are the types of conversations we're having at our small groups. We're trying to be refined, right? We're trying to be sharpened. Look at 1 John 5, 19. It says this. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So that's why James is saying it, that if you are friends with the world, then you are friends with the evil one. Because the evil one is the one that rules the world. Right? They call him the prince of the air. They call him the prince of the air. So those who love the world by default makes you an enemy of God. And we begin to fall to the things of the world sometimes. Like what? Like drunkenness, jealousy, gossip, slandering, hatred, adultery, and the list could go on. There's so many things, and it begins to affect the relationship between you and God. This is why our prayers don't get answered. 
Because sometimes we love the things of the world so much that it puts us in opposition of what God is trying to do in our lives. Think about relationships that you have now. When you allow things like hatred, jealousy, adultery to creep in, what happens to those relationships? They begin to suffer. Think about any relationship with your parents, with your spouse, with your friends. The things of the world and God cannot coexist. Have you guys seen those bumper stickers that say that? Coexist? I laugh every time I see those things. That is the funniest thing to me. Because we cannot coexist with the world. We cannot coexist with other types of religions that don't acknowledge Jesus as God. We cannot coexist with those things. But there's people that have bumper stickers that say, oh, we're all good. We coexist. Everyone is great. Let me stick to my notes here today because we're going to go off into something very, very crazy. Okay, you either love one or you hate the other. You either serve God or you serve the world. Now, I have to make something very clear here with this. This doesn't mean that we're not to interact with the world, right? The scripture says not to be friends with the world, but we are to be acquainted with the world. How else are they going to hear the good news if we completely cut ourselves off from them? We don't act like them. We act like Christ. We are the light in the darkness, the salt of the earth. So I want to tell you this. Don't be friends with the world, but be acquainted with the world. You bring the good news to take them out of their darkness. Amen? That's what we're called to do. At one time, you and me were part of the world. But someone brought the good news and we went from darkness to light. And if that person was someone that did not want to be acquainted with you, they didn't want to be acquainted with the world, chances are you will still be in darkness. So that's why we're not friends. But I encourage you, be highly acquainted with people. Be highly acquainted with the world. That way they can see the transformation that has occurred in you. The transformation because of the gospel. And now the world starts to itch to see, man, this person acts different. What is it about you? Eli, do you mind if we grab coffee one day? Because I see something different in you. And that's where the door opens for conversations. So be acquainted. Be very well acquainted. Just don't be friends with the world. Amen? All right, let's look at verse number five. And he's going to ask this question. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? What an amazing and interesting question. And it's saying that the spirit that you have dwelling in you since you became a believer is a spirit that God wants to protect and that he is jealous over. He becomes jealous when that spirit begins to wander into the enemy's playground. You see, God, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. But God wants you. And God wants me. It's two very different things. The precious Holy Spirit that you have living inside of you becomes grieved when it's exposed to the things that are not holy. And this is where conviction comes in. Because the Spirit 
want what's best for us. The Spirit knows what's going to hurt us. It knows what's going to damage us. That's why we have to be careful not to grieve the Spirit. Have you ever grieved the Spirit? I've grieved the Spirit. There's going to be a point where you're going to grieve the Spirit. And that's why God is jealous. He's jealous over the Spirit that He's given you. Because the Spirit gets grieved. God is jealous for you. And look what He says in verse 6. But He gives more grace. Thank God. But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That's a scripture that's so often quoted. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is such an awesome verse. Because look at this, listen to this. If we start to dabble in things of the world, even if we do things that are wrong, things that are not according to His will, He gives grace. How many of us in here today need grace? I need grace. Thank God that His mercies are new every day. He gives grace. But in that grace that He gives, He also opposes the proud heart. So we can just go our own way. We could live within our own pride, turn our back to the Lord, and it's in that proud heart where He's going to oppose us. So we have two ways to go. We either go in His grace or we live in opposition to Him. And I pray here today that we're taking a position of living in God's grace. That we live in His grace. So that's, those are verses 1 through 6. And I told you 1 through 6, we're going to recap the main points of it because James is giving the problem. So the first problem we saw is arguments and quarrels within relationships. The second problem was we do not have, so we want to covet, which leads to issues in the heart. Number three, we do not ask. So we went into this, we went into prayerlessness. Number four, we ask with the wrong motives. And number five, worldliness. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's what was addressed in the first six verses. Now I want you to pay very close attention to the next verses. It's going to start with verse 7. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Another very often quoted verse. And the key word here is this. Therefore. So James is calling us to submit, to surrender, but also submit and surrender therefore. So what does that mean? That means that no matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, you submit. You don't just submit when things are good. We submit in the most violent storms that we face. That's why he's saying, therefore. No matter what's happening, you submit to God. And we use this verse a lot when we're facing spiritual warfare. Maybe you've heard it said, oh man, just resist the devil and he's going to flee from you. Has anyone ever told you that? Right, like we're going through some spiritual stuff. Oh man, just resist the devil. Don't worry, he's going to go away. Okay. That's a lot deeper. It's a lot deeper than that. It's not just, okay, yeah, I'm going to resist you, Satan. Flee, go away from me. It's like, I don't know, like a Harry Potter spell, expelliarmus or something. Huh? 
You know, it goes a lot deeper than that. It's calling us to submit ourselves, therefore, to God. And let me tell you this, winning any battle begins with submission to the Lord. If we don't submit to him in the beginning, then we are fighting a battle alone. And resisting the devil begins with our submission. We put ourselves in a much better place for victory when we yield to God. So I encourage you here today, submit. And here's what James is trying to conclude with this verse here. Verse number 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is the answer to all things. Draw near to him. And James really can't say it any simpler. The majority of the conflict and issues that we face is because we're not drawing near to him. And look what he says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy be turned to gloom. What a strange thing for him to say. Like, wait a minute. He wants us to mourn and weep. He doesn't want us to laugh. He says for our joy to be gloomy. That doesn't sound like a joyful heart. Who wants to walk in life that, like that? Always mourning, always weeping, always gloomy. Don't get me wrong. I know people that are like that. And they're not even Christians. And they walk around like that. But imagine having the Spirit of God in you and you walk around defeated all the time. Maybe some of you walk that way. With no joy, always mourning, always weeping. But I'm going to give you the context of what James is talking about here. The context here is primarily James talking to the Old Testament Jews. Okay, I don't want you to get lost here. It's the Old Testament Jews. And he's saying to them not to laugh because laughter was a sign of how casually the church was taking sin. That's why he's saying it. And he's telling them to mourn and weep because of the wrath and judgment of God that is to come. So a process of repentance should be a process of sorrow and grief. Not laughter and joy. And he's calling the church to this. He's calling the church to repent. Because he sees the damage of sin and what it's going to do to them if it's not confronted. And that's what I told you. Listen, as Christians, it doesn't mean that we don't have joy. We live in joy. But we mourn over our sin. We don't take joy in our sin. You understand that? When we live a lifestyle of sin, or we're, we're, we're diving into sin, the Holy Spirit begins to convict our hearts. Right? Has anybody here felt conviction? Amen, right? We've all felt conviction before. So that conviction shouldn't bring us to a place of joy. It shouldn't bring us to a place of laughter. The conviction of the Spirit should bring us to repentance because the conviction makes us feel convicted. That's what conviction is. Convicted in our hearts. And conviction usually doesn't feel good, right? Because conviction is going against our flesh which those two are in opposition. The Holy Spirit and our flesh are in opposition. So the conviction is a good thing because the conviction leads to repentance. And that's what James is saying here. He's telling the church at the time, mourn and weep over your sin. So it leads you to repentance. 
Our sin should bring us to a place of sorrow and grief. And exactly what I said, lead us to repentance. And now he goes on to say in verse 10, what the remedy is to this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I believe Eli, when he was closing worship, he spoke on, was it 2 Chronicles? If my people would humble themselves. Oh, it was Sophie, I'm sorry. If you would humble yourselves before the Lord, He will heal your land. But look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, He will exalt you. And when we become humble, when we confess what we have done wrong. Have you ever met somebody, a person that does not admit to their wrongdoing? It's somebody whose heart is filled with pride. That's what that is. If we can't admit that we're wrong, it's because it's coming from a deeper place of pride. Why don't we take ownership? It's funny, man. Like, we just, we make every excuse and we want to blame everybody else because our pride just takes over our hearts. I think everybody's been there at one point or another. And we saw it in the, other, in the earlier verses. What, what does God say about the proud? It says that God opposes the proud. And James is calling us to be what? To be humble. So when we humble ourselves before God, we are exalted. If you cannot take ownership of your wrong, then how do you come to repentance before the Lord? How can you repent if we can't even take ownership of that? Look what Proverbs says. Proverbs 29, 23. A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. The day's going to come where the pride of man will be humble. Let's choose to live in that. Let's choose to live a humble life before God. Not in a state of a prideful heart, but in a humble place before the Lord. Okay, so we've gone over the remedies here that God has provided for us in verses 7 through 10. Let's list them. Number one, submit yourselves to God. Number two, resist the enemy. Number three, draw near to him. Number four, mourn and repent over your sin. Number five, humble yourselves before him. Humble yourselves before him. And I love it. I really love it. James just doesn't present the problem, but he gives the solutions. And now we're going to get into verse 11. Something that occurred 2,000 years ago and is still occurring today. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And James is reiterating here, actually what he spoke in chapter 3. Taming your tongue. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. With our tongue, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He's reiterating it. He already spoke on this in chapter 3. We could stand here with our arms lifted up, praying and praising and singing songs to the Lord. And we respond to the altar calls. We even pray over other people. But James says, with the same mouth, we curse others that are made in God's image. How do we go from one to another so quickly? And I really love scripture like this because it really confronts the ugly in us. 
It really starts to convict the heart. The way that we talk about people reflects what we really believe about God. Our speech, I don't know if you knew this, our speech is actually a form of worship. It's inconsistent to say, I love you, Lord, but then curse your neighbor. And how many times haven't we been there? If we could be honest with this. I think last time I preached James chapter 3, I give the example, man, we're in here today and we're, we're praising the Lord and then we go outside, we get in our car and somebody cuts us off and then it's beep, 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 beep. Go on the Palmetto or rush hour traffic when you're trying to get to work. Tito's just like, no, 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 you don't want to hear what I'm saying. You don't want to hear, you don't want to hear the things that are coming out of my mouth to people. I'm very blessed that my job is five minutes away from, away from where I live and I don't have to get on the Palmetto. But there was one instance where I had to get on 95 around 8 in the morning and it's very difficult not to tame the tongue. But I have a solution for you. Just throw on worship music. Throw on worship music throughout those times. We're called to tame the tongue, especially with the body of Christ, especially with your brothers and your sisters. Tongue is evil. It's quick to spit venom. And I know you guys are in the splash zone. I, I see myself spitting everywhere. It's quick to spit venom. And James knows it because he's seen it throughout the church. 2,000 years ago, they had this issue. Today, we still have this problem. So, man, he's calling us be disciplined, tame your tongue, watch your speech. What are you going to say before you speak it? Is it profitable? Is it going to build up or is it going to tear down? Watch your words. Look what he goes on to say in verse 12. There is only one law giver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? And how often don't we do that? And this is what we become. Instead of doers of the law, we become judges of the law. So in essence, we take God's place because he's the judge over all. And we want to play judge. We don't want to point out the wrong in us, but the wrong in everyone else. And not only point it out, but condemn their wrong as well. And James says it here. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And listen, we could go into other discussions here, okay, of what a righteous judgment looks like. Because we know that the scriptures say we could judge with righteous judgment. But that's not what James is talking about here. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking it from a point of a hypocritical judgment. Hypocritical judgment. The body, the church, God's people are not meant to live in conflict with one another. So when we see ourselves getting to a place where slander, gossip, judgment begin to occur, then it's time that we take a step back and say, God, humble my heart. Humble my heart. Because all of these things are coming from a deeper place. It doesn't matter what your brother or your sister told you. 
The way that you begin to feel that these things want to come out, the gossip, the slander, the jealousy, the envy, is coming from a deeper place within us. And that's where we have to come before the Lord. Lord, strip away the pride. Humble my heart. Imagine if we begin to walk like that. You guys with me here? And here we are. We're coming to an end, and James speaks on us making future plans. Look what he says. Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You may want to underline that. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, we often just make so many plans and sometimes these plans don't involve God whatsoever. They're plans of the flesh. And we have all of these ideas for the future and these things that we want to do and and the Lord, like I like a picture God just hanging back, and, and he's probably saying, if you only knew what tomorrow will bring, if you'd involve me in it. He looks at us, and he sees us thinking of all these things, but, but the scriptures are so clear that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We think that we could control events but fail to recognize that God's authority and the temporary nature of this life. He's sovereign over it all. Let me tell you this. Planning and investing are not wrong. It's good to plan. I'm a very big planner. But is God involved in it? So those things are not wrong, but arrogance is very wrong. Arrogance is a very wrong thing. So, so throughout, of our, throughout all of our planning, ask yourself this. How is God involved in it? Worship team, you can start coming up. And then we see verse 14. Remember what I told you to underline? What is your life? What is your life? What a question that we should all ask ourselves in here. What is your life? What is the life of a Christian? Have you ever asked yourself this before? The spirit, think about this. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells within you. What does that mean to you? What is your life? Look what Paul starts. Look how Paul starts some of his epistles. His epistles. In Titus, he starts with this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle for Jesus Christ. First Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. You see the picture here? What is your life? Is it a life of surrender to the calling of Jesus? Because that's what the scripture is depicting believers as. That's exactly how Paul started every single letter with identifying what his life is. A servant of Jesus, a slave of God, me and my brother Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Imagine if we were to introduce ourselves like that to people we just met. Hey, how are you? I'm Arturo, servant of Christ Jesus. Would that be weird? What's the second code? 
We're not normal. We're not normal people. What's weird to the world is normal to us. And we're called to live in that. To be not normal. Imagine that. What an impact would that make on somebody's life, an introduction that way. Nice to meet you. I'm Adrian, servant of the Most High. Imagine if we carried ourselves like that. What is your life? And I think that this scripture here is going to sum this all up. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is your life? This is it. That we do not belong to ourselves. We have surrendered our flesh, our life, our control to Jesus. The life that we live in the flesh is lived by faith, knowing that he is in, in control of it all. I hope you know this. The moment that you came to faith, the moment that you died to the world, the moment that you died to your flesh, you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price, and this is your life to be a servant of God. That is what your life is, to serve Him. Your identity revolves around Him. Are you a servant in here today? Is that what you see your life as to not only be a servant today, but to continue being a servant of God? Will you be faithful to the end? What does scripture say? Those who endure to the end shall be saved. This is not to have an emotional experience. But man, this is to speak and to live in God's truth. To speak and to live in God's truth. Can you guys stand with me today? You know, in these teachings that we learn, and this life that we live, it, it's because of the transformation that has occurred within our hearts. A transformation that started with the gospel. And everything comes back to the gospel. These teachings that we study and these scriptures that we study in the New Testament, they wouldn't exist if it weren't for the resurrection. We wouldn't be reading New Testament things if Jesus didn't resurrect. So the core of every message is surrounded by the gospel. You guys, most of you know that every time I preach, I always end the preaching with the gospel. And I do that for a reason. Because the gospel is not just for lost people. The gospel is not just for the world who has never heard of Jesus. The gospel is as much for the lost as it is for the believer. We need to be reminded constantly of the gospel because the gospel is the reason that you are here today. Your entire life revolves around the gospel. The saving grace that you have experienced is because of the gospel of Jesus. 
altar is open. And I don't know if you are someone in here that has never received Christ into your life. I don't know if today maybe you are a believer here and you've never heard the gospel of Jesus. This is such a great opportunity to come up here. This is a great moment just to surrender. Just to surrender your life to the Lord. Even if you are a believer and you know the gospel, what a great moment to come to this altar and say, Lord, because of the gospel, I know that there is going to be healing in my circumstance. Because of the trial that I face today, Lord, because of your gospel, I know that there will be victory tomorrow. Because of the shed blood of Christ, I know that my sorrow could be turned to joy, that my mourning could be turned to dancing. So you see, the gospel is not just for the lost. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel's for today. It's for you. It's for me. It's for me tomorrow. It's for you next week. It's for your family next year. It's for everyone. So I invite you to come up here. If you need prayer, just come broken before the Lord. We would love to get alongside you. And as I preach this gospel, as I speak this gospel over your life here today, I want you to really meditate on the words that I'm saying. And I really want you to listen to this because it is such a reminder of where we were and where we're going. And the gospel starts with God. And the problem is this, is that God is good. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, what's the problem with a good God? The problem is this, is that God is good and we are not. We are not. The Bible says that there is not one person that is good, that there is not one person that is righteous. And we are not good because of one reason. We are not good because of sin. And everyone has it. You were born with it. You cannot escape it. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in the book of Romans, it says this, that for the wages of our sin is death. Do you know what wages mean? Wages means something that you merit, something that you earn. That's how serious God takes sin, that he has assigned it the death penalty. And if you die in a state of your sin, you will be separated from God forever. That's not my prayer for you here today. That's the bad part. That sin leads us down this road. It breaks every single part of us. That's the bad news. But there's good news. That's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. And the good news is this, and it's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth in the form of a man, in the person of Jesus Christ. And while he was here, he was beaten. 
and he was mocked and he was spit upon then he had a crown of thorns placed upon his head and then they gave him a cross and they told him march all the way to Calvary and on Calvary he was nailed to the cross for the sins of the world then Jesus had a spear placed through his side and he died on this cross but the story does not end there you see because three days later Jesus was resurrected conquering sin and taking victory over death and now because of that because of his shed blood Romans chapter 10 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead then you will be saved God only commands two things of you to repent which means to turn away from your sins and to put your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone that's what the gospel was that's what the gospel is it's a great exchange my dirty criminal record for Jesus' perfect record so now when you die and you are standing face to face in the throne room of God God doesn't see you as a criminal he sees Jesus' perfect record inside of you because you have believed because you have repented and now because the blood of Christ covers you what a beautiful exchange the gospel is for you today believers the gospel is for the lost the gospel is for the hurt it's for the broken the gospel is for those who have anxiety for those who have depression the gospel is for those who have suicidal thoughts the gospel is for those who are confused the gospel is for those who don't know where they're going the gospel is for everyone everything that we study the word that I preach today is because of the gospel of Jesus I don't know where you're at in your life today. I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know the burdens of today. I don't know the heaviness that you have in your heart, the things that are racing in your mind. I don't know if you have anxieties about tomorrow, about what, about what things hold for the future for you. But God knows. He knows your future. James said it, what is your life? nothing but a vapor and a mist we're here for such a short time and in that short time what are we gonna do how's the gospel gonna stir in your heart how are you gonna stir it up in others hearts if we could stretch out our hands today Lord we come before your throne here today Father God Lord, we thank you for the writings of our brother James, of the conviction that he's, he's writing to the church, Lord. For the lessons and the doctrines that we learn, Lord God. And we recognize here today that all this is possible because of you, King Jesus. Because of your resurrection, because of your shed blood on Calvary. And Lord God, we receive that here today, Lord. We receive that by faith, Lord God. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God moves within your people here today. That we are broken before you. 
that we come to repentance, Lord God. Lord, and that your spirit just begins to minister to us today, Lord. As the song is playing, listen to what they're saying, that we want more presence, that we receive. Lord God, that we give you the honor. Spend a moment in prayer here. A moment meditating. Just draw near to Him and He will draw near to you.
rain today, church. Let it rain within your hearts. That's what I said earlier. So many times we're scared of the rain. But Lord God, I pray here today, Lord, that the floodgates of heaven open up, Lord God, and that there is just a monsoon of water over our lives, Lord God. I pray for the rain, Lord Jesus. I pray for dry bones to come alive again. I pray for fire to be sparked within us once again, Lord God. I pray, Lord, things that need to be taken away, Lord Jesus, that they are taken away. Things that need to be added to our lives, Lord God, that they are added to us. We give you the honor here today. We give you the glory here today. We give you all of the praise here today, Lord God. Together, God's people say yes and amen. Give the Lord the greatest praise. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you guys have an amazing, amazing Sunday. And I hope it continues to rain in your life throughout this week. Amen. Hallelujah.